Uh, Tuesday mornings, I meet with several of our men, uh, a group of us. We meet to discuss uh, a Bible study that we go through during the week. And we come together uh, Tuesday mornings. We meet at Panera up on Coliseum at 6 a.m. And we uh, discuss what what we've been studying. We've been going through the Psalms and studying some of the Psalms. Uh, we have, the group has been meeting for years now, and we've studied many different things uh, over the years. I think Andy mentioned it, 10 years or something last, over 10 years. I don't know how long it's been, but it's been a while. Um, we haven't been in Psalms that whole time, but certainly we could be. We've not, I think we've been in Psalms, what, uh, uh, I got nine months, so about nine months we've been in Psalms, and we've gone through 18 of them so far. We don't do them in order. We didn't start at one and go. We did start at one, but we didn't go in order. Uh, you know, one, two, three, four. We kind of skip around. We're using a, a a book that guides us by a guy whose name I can't remember. Um, but uh, Pastor Kent was a little familiar with him and thought it would be a good one, and it has been. It's been a good uh, good guide for us on there. Now, several weeks ago, we spent some time going through Psalm 73. And uh, as we were going through that, I told the guys, I said, this, is, this has just got a sermon written all over it, uh, you know, and we, we talked. And uh, so some of the things that you might hear from me uh, probably came from some of them as we were like, going at it and looking. It's just such a practical psalm. It's, it's very practical. It's very, um, you know, clear, I think. And I thought it would be a good thing to go through on Sunday mornings. I hope it will help your growth in Christ. Let's pray, and we're going to turn to that psalm and get into it a little bit more. Father, thank you for your word, the clarity of it. Sometimes the clarity of it is a little frightening. It's a little um, uh, unnerving, but we need that. We need that once in a while. This psalm is one in which, well, part of that comes up, and, and, um, but, and part of it we can see ourselves in it very clearly. So I pray that you would help that to happen this morning, that you would un open up your word, unfold your wisdom for us once again, help us to see you, help us to see ourselves in light of you, uh, Lord, but also to see your grace at work, always at work in us and through us. Uh, what a great gift that is. So open your word as we do, um, open our minds, we pray in Christ's name, amen. So if you haven't already, turn to Psalm 73. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 527. Uh, in the Pew Bible, um, Psalms are really—they're—they're—they um, are often very emotionally raw. While I believe they are theologically correct, um, now when I say that, that doesn't mean that every single every single thing, every single did I say that right? Uh, that every single thing in there is you know something we should we should do because remember there is a verse in the Gospels that says Judas went out and hung himself and you know so we don't do every single thing it faithfully records the truth uh, and we see that here in, in Psalms and um, you know there a lot of times you know while I believe it's all theologically correct and what we see in Psalms here a lot of them they're just an emotional basket cases really is what we see going on in some of this there's honest questioning there are things that said in are said in frustration there's things that are said in hurt and in anger uh, just like in life there's very myopic views of God so too often in here there's some misunderstandings of his person and his care there's some ranting and ravings that go on in the book of Psalms, but there's also some very poetic uh, descriptions of God and his love. There's some very revealing passages in there 
And I think Psalm 73, uh, maybe it captures some of the thoughts that you've had and maybe some of the thoughts that you've had and were afraid to uh, express a little reluctant. Uh, let's begin going through this. Look at verse 1. Uh, we're going to go through the first few verses uh, to start with. We're going to get further than that today. For verse 1, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now, this verse 1 makes, makes clear that God is looking at your heart, not your history. Now, why do I say that? When you look at verse 1, uh, you know, he makes a statement, God is good to Israel. Now, what often happens in Hebrew teaching and what you see often in Psalms, a statement is made and then another statement follows that, really, usually very directly follows that, that clarifies, pinpoints, you know, gives more expression to the first phrase that is made. And that's what you see happening here where he says, God is good to Israel. And then he clarifies, he pinpoints that statement a little bit more. He says, God is indeed good to Israel, to the pure in heart. Where your heart is, where your heart is committed is really what matters, not where your history lies. It's not simply the fact that they were part of Israel that made them, you know, that brought them God's favor. It's where their heart lies, and it's the same thing that happens today. You know, it's where the heart is. It's true, unfortunately, that they too often thought that they were fine with God simply because they were part of Israel. Just like too many people today think they're fine with God simply because they're part of a church. It really doesn't matter how long you've gone to church. God's not, you know, God's not looking at you because of your history. He is more concerned with your heart. Now, don't misunderstand me. I, you know, a, a good history. One of the things I'm, I'm really hoping is that, you know, Ginny and I, Ginny shared her testimony with you last week. And, you know, you've heard mine before, and we, we didn't grow up in, you know, in an evangelical church. We didn't go up, grow up in a church that taught us about Christ. What I, what I really am hoping is that we were, are the beginning of years, of generations that will follow Christ. Not simply be in the church. Yes, we want them to be in the church because I think that's important. I think, I think it's biblical. But we want them to know Christ is their Savior. What I'm hoping, what I'm praying, is that not just my kids and not just my grandchildren, who I am blessed to be able to pour into their lives so. But my great-grandchildren, who I may never know here, that I will see them one day in heaven. Because my grandchildren grasped the faith for themselves and found it important enough to pour into their children in such a way that they will be able to pour it into their children 
and that that will continue until God comes. God is not interested. God is not. God is. He doesn't care that their grandpa was a pastor. What he cares is where their heart is. What he's saying here, you know, is he's look. You know, God is more interested in your heart than your history. Uh, you know, they they mess that up often. Uh, you see that cycle over and over again as you go through the Old Testament. You know, you see that. You know, they were God's chosen people, but it was always a matter of where their heart was committed. This passage in Jeremiah, he says, but return uh, to my place. What's he doing? He's calling them back. Return to my place that was at Shiloh where I made my name dwell at first. See what I did to it because of the evil of my people. He wasn't, he, he wasn't ignoring the evil. They weren't in there. They weren't in with God simply because of who they were, simply because of their history. He goes on, he says, now because you have done all of these things where their heart was leading them, you've done all these things. This is the Lord's declaration. And because I have spoken to you time and again, but you would not listen. You would not listen. And I have called you, but you wouldn't answer. He said, what I did at Shiloh I will do to the house that is called by my name, the house that which, in which you trust, the place that I gave you and your ancestors. Because they were trusting in the house, they were trusting in their lineage, and they were ignoring God. And he's saying, no, that's not good. You can't think that you know, just because you're in this group that, that, that you're fine, you're not. He said, it's where your heart is that matters. It's not where your history came from. It's where your heart is. Jesus even mentions the importance of where someone's heart is. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. The pure in heart, not because they're such good people, but you see, because they come to know, they come to know Christ, they come to that relationship, and then God reveals Himself more and more with them, uh, to them. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, He says, Hypocrites! Isaiah prophesied correctly about you. He said, uh, These people honor Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. They worship Me in vain. They're teaching as doctrines the commands of men. What He's saying is, I want to know where your heart... Your heart matters to Me, not your history. God is indeed good to the pure in heart. But he is not going to be fooled by liars. He is not going to be fooled by false commitments. He knows taking communion doesn't save you. Taking communion is an expression that I have this relationship with God. What, you know, he's not, God is not fooled. He's not looking for religious practices. He's looking for lives that are changed by the reality of a true commitment to him. He's looking to see where the heart is. The pure in heart doesn't mean those who are perfect. Uh, that, that means those who are truly living for Him because they know Jesus as their Savior. That's the pure in heart. Those who are living for Him, <clears throat> for him because they know Jesus as their Savior. They're truly living for Him. They are sincere. They're not hypocritical. You know they are they are they are, are honestly trying to live for God, not trying to do not trying to be good enough to please Him. They are trying to live for God because they know Christ died for them and and God accepts them. So now they try to live to please Him because of the love of God, not because they are trying to earn it, but because they they have the love of God. 
You know, they were used to, they, they used the word heart, you know, to mean one's mind, their will, emotions. Much the same as we do. It's much the same how we use it when we talk about, you know, heart. That they really put their heart in it, you know, or we use that. You know, we, we're talking about the center of our being, you know, that where our emotions, our thought, our motivations, courage, directions come from. You know, that, that their heart, follow your heart. You know, what, what, you know, follow those commitments that you have that you really want to be there. You know, God wants us to do well. God wants us to succeed in living for Him. He wants us to know the joy of a changed life. He wants us to, to know that He is for us and not against us. God is not out to destroy you. He's not trying to change you. He wants you to be saved. That's why He sent His Son. That's why Christ gave His life so that we can have new life in him he wants us to know him he wants us to grow in him he wants us to be sincere Uh, matthew chapter 11 he says come to me all of you who are weary and burdened and i will give you rest i will give you rest all of you now when you think of rest you know we think I am going to kick back, put my feet up, and take it easy. Read the next verse. All of you, take up my yoke. What in the world are we talking about? Take up my yoke. And I thought we were going to get to rest here. Here's the deal. Take up my yoke, he says, and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for yourselves. Take up my yoke, that we're yoked together with the Lord. That we... We are pulling together with him. Important distinction. Not he is pulling together with us. Understand the difference. It's not he is pulling together with us. We are pulling together with him. He sets the agenda. He sets the direction. He sets the pace. He is the one we are following. We are not the one He is following. It's not, Lord, here's this great plan I have. Now bless me in it. It's, Lord, what is your plan? I want to walk where you are blessing. There's a difference between those two. I want to be where you are blessing, Lord. I want to be walking with you. I want to be yoked together with you. John chapter 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Sometimes the world's a peaceful place and sometimes it's not. We could say often it's not. Well, yeah, but sometimes... It is. Sometimes it's peaceful. I remember when Ginny and I went to the Boundary Waters, one of the things I really liked in the Boundary Waters, uh, it, it, there's no, no cell phone reception, none of that stuff, you know, so you are just up there. One of the very humbling things is when you come back, you realize that the world went on just fine without you. <laughs> I mean, it's, they didn't need me, you know. Uh, yeah, but he says, my peace, I, my peace I, I don't give as the world gives. He said, in the midst of that turmoil of the world, you can still be at peace. Why? Because your heart must not be troubled or fearful. Why? Because he's interested in our heart, not our history. He wants us, you know, he is indeed good to the pure in heart. He goes on, but as for me, verse 2, as for me, my feet almost slipped, my steps nearly went astray. I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now here's the deal. Sincerity, true sincerity. You know, real sincerity of heart never stands alone. 
What I mean by that is it's, it's, you, know, you can't say you have it and that there's no results. You can't say you have it, and, but you remain the same wretched person you were. That's not it. It's true sincerity of heart. Never, it takes effort to live for God. It doesn't come naturally. It doesn't come naturally. What comes naturally is self-centeredness. You ever real, have you ever noticed, you know, when, when there's a kid um, and they're growing up and uh, you really don't have to teach them to say mine, do you? I don't know how they, where they learn that word, but they do. Mine. <laughs> you, know. uh, you, you don't have to teach them to grab for what they want. It just kind of, it, it comes naturally. We're, we're naturally focused on us. What he's, what, he's, what he's telling us, you know, what he wants us to realize is, you know, that, that, that uh, the struggle is real. You know, the struggle is real. It takes effort to live for God, particularly in this world. Paul, I love the way Paul puts it in Romans chapter 7. He knows how he explains it. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power, for I do not understand what I'm doing. Because I don't practice what I want to do. I do what I hate. He says, I know I should do better, but... But he goes on, he says, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with uh, that, the, that the law is good. You know, so now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is a sin living in me, for I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. It, you know, left to myself, I'm a very selfish person. He says, for the desire to do what is good is with me. There's that desire, you know, he says, but th- there's, there's no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil I don't want to do. He says, I, I, I know what I should be doing, but I find myself doing what I know I shouldn't be doing. He says, then I am no longer the one doing it. It's the sin that lives in me. So I discovered this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is within me. Evil's right there waiting. For in my inner self, I joyfully agree with God's law. In my inner self, I say, man, that's good, and I want to follow God. You know? He says, uh, but I see a different uh, law in the parts of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. What a wretched man that I am. He was realizing, he was understanding that this battle is real. He was understanding that, you know, that what, what he says he is, he needs to be living. And he's realizing the struggle, and he goes on, he says, who will rescue me? Who will rescue me from this dying body? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who will rescue me? It's only that relationship with the Lord that's going to help us and deliver us. He says, so then with my mind, I myself am a slave to the law, with my flesh, you know, uh, uh, to the law of sin. Realize, we will be tempted. If you think that you're not going to be tempted, you're mistaken. I was going to say you're a fool, but that might hurt your feelings. I don't want to hurt your feelings. You're foolish. Let's just put it that way. Uh, yeah, we will be tempted. We will struggle at times. It is not a cakewalk. Why do we say that? I'm not even sure. You know, a cakewalk. But anyway, uh, it, it's not an easy thing. It is not always an easy thing, but we need to put forth that effort to live out our commitment to God. 
sincerity, true sincerity, never stands alone. We put forth that effort to truly live for Him. The, word, the, the, the words there, they, they slipped. He says where my feet nearly slipped, nearly went astray. The, the word means to, to bend away or to, or to pour out. It's a picture. It's a picture of pulling away from God, of leaning away from that close relationship that we need. And instead of pulling in toward God, we're leaning away. You know, and we're leaning away from Him. We're leaning away from that relationship that we really need to help us stand. And we need to realize that we are all too close to slipping and going astray. We are all too close to leaning away from God. He says, I envied the arrogant. Problem with envy? See, the problem with envy really, what it says is, God didn't give me what I deserved. He didn't give me what I deserved. You know, God, God didn't care for me as He should have. Uh, God is withholding from me. That's what envy does. And then we see it and what we begin to do, what we begin to do when we're not careful, what we begin to do when we don't put forth that effort, what we begin to do then is we begin to walk after what we want. We begin to walk after what we think we need we begin to we begin to pursue you know those things and they you know we end up going astray we end up leaning away from god we walk after those things and while you're walking while we are walking after whatever when we are walking toward whatever we think we're missing out on you are walking away from god you're leaning away God is not going to withhold any good thing from you that you need to grow in your faith for Him. And it's not necessarily that new car or that new house. I will tell you this, if it is that new car or new house that you need to grow closer to God, He will make sure that you get it. But trust me, it's not. I don't care what the prosperity gospel guys tell you, it's not. A pocket full of coin isn't going to get you any closer to God. In fact, it drives too many waves. Anyway, let's not get off on a tangent here. He said, my feet almost slipped. My feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Of all the people, of all the types of people to be envious of, the arrogant and the wicked should be the ones you try to stay away from. It should not be the ones you try to get close to. It should be the ones you try to stay away from. That word arrogant, the word, the, the, the word that's used there, translated arrogant, it, it, means, it means to flash forth a light, to boast, to be boastful. There's a difference between, you know, a, a difference between the type of person, you know, uh, uh, that type of a person and one who has a pure heart you know, or a pure reaction. It's their response to sin is one of the huge differences. The pure in heart are repentant when they sin. The pure in heart are repentant when they sin. They understand that, you know, just as Paul was saying there in Romans chapter 7, here's what I want to do. I know I didn't do it. Who's going to save me from that? And they turn to God. They turn to God. 
Just like Paul did there. Who's going to deliver me from this? I thank God through my Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who's going to save me from that. And the, the repentant, the pure in heart are repentant when they sin. The arrogant are boastful of their sin. The arrogant are boastful of their sin. They shine a light like it's a badge of honor. Like it's something to be proud of. You know, like it's, a, like it's an accomplishment worthy of your praise. I used to live there. And so did some of you. And when I was a thief, I used to boast about how easily it was to steal what I stole. It may be something different for you, but we need to exercise extreme caution. The pure in heart are repentant when they sin. The arrogant are boastful. Well, he also talks about the wicked. Again, the other group not to follow the wicked. Um, that, that word means the hostile to God. You know, guilty of sin. Now, it's not simply guilty of sin because we're all guilty of sin. If you think you're not guilty of sin, again, uh, you know, here's where your toes do need to be stepped on. You are guilty of sin. You're guilty of sin. You're a sinner and you're guilty of sin. Realize it. Accept it. But I try to do better. But you're still guilty of sin. But I tried. I've done so much. But you're still guilty of sin. See, the, the, the problem is not, is not the guilt of sin there. That's the reality. You know, the reality that we have there is that guilt of sin. We're all guilty of sin. The real problem is that hostility to God that brings the arrogance about sin. That hostility there. And sometimes... It's an arrogance of independence. I did this myself. Look what I accomplished. Look where I'm at. Not thank God for what He's delivered me from. Not thank God for what He has opened the doors he has opened for me. You know, the, 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 it's a hostility. Sometimes it's that arrogance of independence. He says, For my feet almost slipped, my steps nearly went astray, for I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 4, that They have an easy time until they die. Their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. They're not afflicted like most people. Here's the problem with this. What you're seeing is what you, they want you to see, not the reality of their lives. You are not seeing the reality of their lives. You are seeing what they want you to see. I'm just floored sometimes. I'm flabbergasted. How do you get gassed flabbered? Anyway, um, when I see, okay, like this, this, this one guy, this Murtaugh guy that, you know, was a lawyer. He had a successful law practice and, you know, in South Carolina, I don't know, one of those sinful states. Anyway, so, and, and so what did he do? He, he, he murdered his wife and his son. He stole money from his law firm. 
he was, it was a very prestigious law firm there in the city, you know, and they were well established. They had got his father before him had that. And, then they said, and I think to myself, what is wrong with you? You see, but before any of that was found out, he, uh, Bernie Madoff, Bernie Madoff, you know, he was, you know, a, 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 you know, real good guy in everybody's mind. And people invested money with him. He's making money hand over fist. And they found out that what all he was doing, it was a Ponzi scheme, one of the biggest ones they ever had. And, but you see what some, we see though, we see that now because, you know, that was exposed. But what you saw before was just what they wanted you to see. And this is what he's talking about here. They have an easy time until they die. Their bodies are well fed. They're not in trouble like others. Not afraid. You're seeing what they want you to see. Those who don't have a relationship with God, they look for something else. They look for something else for comfort, for relief. Those who don't have a relationship with God look for something else to ease the burden. It doesn't have to be alcohol or drugs. Now, it certainly can be alcohol or drugs, but I have never seen anyone look at an alcoholic and think, oh, they have an easy time until they die. Their bodies are well fed, not in trouble like others, not afflicted. I've not, I've not seen anybody look at, a, a, at an alcoholic or, or a drug addict and say that about them. You know, uh, what, you know, some do try to ease their burden through alcohol and, and, and drugs, and, and that's hard and that's tough, and they do need help. And I, I'm grateful for ministries like Shepherd's House who, who help. You know, with things like that. You know, but what he's talking about here you know, are, are those who try to ease their burden through possessions, through position, you know, through prestige, through power. But all of those simply bring other burdens. Everyone has challenges. Everyone has hurts. Everyone has troubles. Everyone has a burden. Everyone has a burden. You simply don't always see it. That's one reason to be nice to you know other people because really everyone has a burden, and uh, you know, these people who irritate me with the way they drive or whatever it is, and and uh, you know I, I try to remind myself, you know they got troubles and maybe it's being expressed by theirs anyway. Uh, we need everyone has burdens we simply don't see it. More possessions, that simply brings more responsibility. More responsibility brings more worry. You know, that, we look at others and we think, boy, if we had what they had, life would be so much easier. We think it would, you know, life would be fulfilled. That would be, if I had all your money, I'd throw all my money away. You know, um, there's always someone who has something you do not have. Always. Always. Is Bezos the guy that owns uh, Amazon? Yeah. Isn't he the guy, like the guy that's supposed to be the richest dude in the world now or stuff? Um, you know, we think he can have whatever he wants. Except you know what happened there too? Um the woman he committed his life to, and the woman who started this business in him with his, you know, with him in his garage and built it into this mammoth thing now, um, and they divorced and went their ways. Divorce is never easy. The hurt comes somewhere along the line. It may not be when they finally get to the place where they sign the papers and say, well, you know, 
see you later. I mean, when they signed the papers, he gave half, of, I think, anyway. He, you know, they, they split that up very equitably, it seemed. Um, but the hurt went on somewhere before that when nobody was seeing it, when, when nobody, you know, everybody has a burden and everybody, somebody is always going to have something you don't have. When I, those who pray for me, you know, who get the prayer warrior, they know that I, one of the things I battle is distractions. And one of the things that, that I ran across as I was giving into distractions when I was working on this sermon was this. It says, we work jobs we don't like to continue buying things we can't afford with money we don't have to keep up with our lifestyle and credit scores, which continues a cycle of discontentment, debt, and anxiety all the while somehow believing this is freedom. I would change that to all the while believing this is success. I want to get through verse 12 and we're going to do it in a hurry, so just follow along. I'm simply going to read most of it. It fits right in with what we've been saying. Verse 6, look what he says. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Neck is something you display. You see that necklace. Therefore, pride is their necklace. And violence covers them like a garment. Again, an obvious trait, a garment. Someone covers them like a garment. Verse 7, their eyes bulge out from fatness. Their imaginations of their hearts run wild. Here's a problem. They mock. They speak maliciously. They arrogantly threaten opposition. They set their mouths against heaven and their tongues strut across the earth. There's the picture, the description of the wicked. Verse 10, Therefore His people turn to them and drink in their overflowing words. The wicked, those who are hostile to God, the wicked say, How can God know? Does the Most High know everything? Look at them, the wicked. They're always at ease. They increase their wealth. There's a false view right there. They are not always at ease. And when we have a false view of a sinner, we fall into the trap we see there in verse 10 and 11. We turn to them as an example worthy of following. We begin to believe the things they tell us. We compromise that commitment to God. You know, and we say, it's no big deal. I just didn't think this was a big deal. We think, well, God will understand. No, God knows my heart. You're right. He knows your heart that is chasing after something other than Him. He knows your heart that has decided to follow the wicked instead of following the Lord. You know, we think, you know, God will forgive me. I'll straighten up after I get what I want. I told you before about a friend and I just saw some stuff from him not too long ago and... Uh, before I was, well, was when I first went into ministry, so you know, forty some years ago, uh, left his wife, and I remember exactly where we were driving. We were on 394, heading down toward uh, Creed, Illinois, which means absolutely nothing to most of you. Um, and he said to me, "Pat, God will forgive me after this." And I knew it was—it's I, I, a true statement. But I also knew he was on very dangerous ground. And to my knowledge, he has still not asked God for forgiveness. We think, you know, we can. 
Now, the reality is, you know, verse 11 where he says, the wicked say, how can God know? The reality is, yes, God does know everything. The reality is sin is a big deal. You know, the reality is we don't understand that devastation of sin and we may never get around to seeking forgiveness. It's not, you know, what we want is not the standard. That is not the standard we should be living by. We're going to pick up with verse 13 next week, but here's what I really want you to grasp and, and grab a hold of from these verses today. You know, to get your head on straight, be careful. Be careful who you are watching. Because those you are watching are your standard. Those who you, you are watching and envying are your standard. Those who you are watching, they are influencing your choices. Those who you are watching are guiding your direction. God looks at where your heart truly is. And a sincere heart is never idle, never wishy-washy about sin. A sincere heart repents. A sincere heart you know, avoids... You know, tries to avoid sin, an arrogant heart boasts about the sin. And a sincere heart looks to God to ease the burden. God is indeed good to the pure in heart. But as for me, my feet almost slipped. My steps nearly went astray. For I envied the arrogant. I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Watch who you are watching. Let's pray. Father, thank You for those You have put before us as good examples, as godly examples. I thank You for those You have given me in my life. Some of them are here. Some of them are here with me today. I thank You for the way in which You use good examples in our life. Help us to be very careful about those we watch, to be very careful about those we envy, to be very careful that we never replace You and Your Word and Your truth with the limited knowledge and the foolishness of man. Father, help us to be those people who grasp a hold of You in such a real way that our life is changed, our life is transformed by the power and grace of God. Thank You for those godly examples. May we each be that example in the lives of others. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.